0: mental illness by definition is this the inability to adjust well to a harsh reality and mental wellness is by definition this the ability to adjust well to harsh reality so programs like whatever the victim program is could unintendedly perpetuate a victim mindset that says I cannot do well because of this harsh reality in your life no
1: What is going on? Welcome to the Wake Up Warrior podcast. I'm your guy, Joe. And today I am joined by a very, very, very special guest, my man, Brooks Gibbs. Brooks, thank you for joining us today.
0: Thanks, Joe.
1: So this is a podcast for parents, teachers, and leaders. The idea is to throw out all kinds of ideas to help us think and to change, maybe not change, but give us different perspectives. And yours is one that I enjoy. So if you do not know Brooks, well, first of all, you should. Uh, Dr. Brooks Gibbs is a social psychologist, an award winning resilience educator who teaches students how to regulate emotions and solve social problems. Now, he has been over t- to over 2,500 schools and he spoke to them one on one in face to face. And he's got this amazing viral video. Well, many viral videos, but the one I'm th- talking about in particular, Ava and I used to help with some of the bullying issues that she had in school. Um, and that's kind of how me and Brooks met. So, Uh, I don't know if you remember it, but I remember it like it was yesterday. Well, anyway, essentially what happened is um, one of my – Ava came to me and said she was getting bullied, and I had zero idea how to handle it besides telling her to punch those kids in the face, right? And I knew internally that wasn't the move. Uh, A good friend of mine introduced me to the video. I'll make sure that video is here in the description so you guys can watch it as well. But uh, And me and Ava watched this video. Now, she had to be like eight, seven, eight. It was – uh, first grade and it invigorated her to feel like she it almost was like she had weapons to take to school with her to kind of combat some of this bullying that was
0: going to on. clarify <laughs> <laughs> to clarify psychological weapons.
1: Yes. Oh my goodness. I forgot about, yeah, that makes sense. So psychological weapons (laughs) at school. Uh, she, it was just a a complete change. Um, and then a couple months later, I ran into Brooks at CEP, a great, um, uh, what is it? Uh, what are they called?
0: I don't even know. It's like, my wife goes to physical therapy.
1: That's what it is. It's physical therapy. Yeah. Uh, I, I actually use them myself. So it's weird that I forgot that, but physical and I fanboyed out. I was like, bro, I know like you, my daughter loves you. We have to take a picture so that I just complete clout chase. Um, long story short, uh, Brooks is now here. Many years later, we've been able to keep in contact. So again, Brooks, thank
0: you very much. Thanks, man. You know, um, the only time I actually felt like a celebrity. Uh, it, it's been a couple of times in my life where people recognize me from the video. And uh, one time was actually at Safety Harbor Pier. Okay. some dude from another country like in in the Middle East, asked me if my name was Brooks Gibbs. And I said, yeah. And he says, your videos went viral in our country. And I was like, whatever, who sent you here? Whatever, you know, that's just, I'm not a guy, you know, I'm not a a famous person. And, uh, but it was cool because both times, well, a family member was with me to enjoy the moment that someone recognized me. My life matters. And I've, you know, I felt like calling my mom and saying, mom, <laughs> you have done good. I did something with my life, but uh, I'm so glad that that video helped your daughter realize what was really going on when someone was trying to bother her. And essentially it's this, when someone is being mean to you and their motivation is bothering you, mm-hmm. they want you to be bothered. It's a game of winning and losing. So if you're bothered, you lose and they win. But if you're not bothered, you win and they lose. And once you frame the problem in terms of winning and losing it, I learned that from school psychologist, Izzy Kalman, my mentor, uh, it really helps kids understand, oh, you mean I'm playing in losing mode every time I get upset and my feelings are hurt and I start to cry or whatever, like they feel great. And <laughs> I feel worse. And all I have to do is like not get upset and and they don't feel great. I actually feel great. And they feel bad. And when kids lose games, they don't want to play the game anymore. So the mean kid we call bullies, (laughs) some people call them brothers, because it's the same dynamic at work with. Sorry about that, Franklin. (laughs) That's right. So I'm glad it helped you, man.
1: No, without a doubt. Um, I think one of the things that stuck out to her specifically and her being so competitive is that game mode that you're talking. She's like, oh, wait a minute. They are just trying to win. And once that snapped, it was... It was, I mean, it was so quick and instant. Um, But you do, you give some interesting insight and some specific tactical advice. What are some of the things that you tell them? And obviously you should still watch the video, but Brooks, what is that, uh, I guess, psychological weapon that you suggest?
0: Well, I try to cure children of their offendability. That's Mm. really the core of what I do. And um, if you can teach a child, you can teach a grown up the same thing. Uh in fact every grown-up many times has um uh, different levels of emotional uh intelligence. And so if you can teach these uh EQ strategies to children, then even a grown-up with low emotional intelligence can learn it on the child level. And uh basically it's it's psychology one oh one. Um I try to explain to children that it's It's not what they say that upsets you, but it's what you think about what they say. And if you think what they said was really bad, then you're going to have a really bad emotional consequence. But if you think what they said isn't that bad, then you don't have a bad emotional consequence. So it's really not what they say that's bothering you, but what you Mm -hmm. think about what they say. And in psychology, uh, specifically REBT, Rational Emotive Behavioral Therapy, Dr. Albert Ellis taught an A, B, C theory of emotion. A, the activating event or the aggression. Someone mm-hmm. says, I don't like you. C, the emotional consequence. That hurts my feelings. You know, A, C, it happens so fast, but, but, but we think they hurt my feelings. We fail to realize it in between A and C is a letter B. And that's your belief system. What do you believe about what they just said? So the aggression has to flow first through your belief system before an emotional consequence manifests. And there's two types of belief systems. One is a rigid demanding belief system. You have no right to be rude to me. How dare you say that you must respect me. The other is a indifferent, flexible belief system. Like whatever, you know, it's all good. I don't care what you say. So, Most of the time when you see kids with negative emotional consequences in their C, I I pretty much means they're angry or they're crying. I can guarantee that there's a rigid, demanding belief system. And all I have to do as the parent or therapist is I have to help them give up the grip of their demands that that must not happen and actually accept that it did happen and to help them understand it's to their benefit that had actually happened, and once you help a child give up the grip of their demands that no one has a right to be rude to me, and actually go to school like my sixth sixth grader did one time, I was taking him to camp. I said, "He's so excited about camp." He says, "I've dad, I'm so excited." I said, "Why are you so excited?" He says, "I hope someone bullies me this week." <laughs> i like, Why would you say it?" I'm I'm. This is like one of the greatest moments. I love kid. it. Oh, my I was ready. He was my son at that moment. Oh, like, okay. I said, it's so awesome. I said, why, why do you hope that they bully you? He says, I want to practice my skills. And I'm like, you don't have karate skills. Is that what you're talking about? You know? And he's like, no, 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 dad, you know, the stuff that you teach. Oh, oh, you mean your resilience skills? Oh, your social skills. <laughs> I hope they do. I hope they call you a name and push you around and tell your secrets to the new kid in town and leave you out with no friends to be found. I hope they bully you good this week. And I said, man, if they bully you, if they're mean to you and you don't get upset, you're getting a dollar. Okay. Oh, really? But if they're mean to you and you don't get upset and you treat them like a friend, which is the second thing, you actually get them to be nice back to you. In other words, you convert them from an enemy to a friend. I'll give you five. He made $42 that week. $42. (sighs) And so I have raised my kids rewarding resilience. Mm. And I teach people how to reward resilience in their children. And it starts, I believe, the easiest way to teach resilience is with social problems, because that's the one that seems to hurt the most, and it seems to be everywhere, especially in the own home. So, but the same psychological skills you learn to give up the grip of demands and to accept the unwanted harsh reality, those are the same skills you could use with any adversity, not just adversaries, but adversities in life. Resilient skills transfer to any unwanted happening in your life. So what are some of the skills? Well, I think the first one is, Stop having such a rigid, demanding belief, like I mentioned, and be more flexible and accepting of that belief. That's the first skill, managing your expectations to keep it simple. (laughs) See, if I go to school every day with high expectations that everyone must be respectful Mm -hmm. and they're not respectful, the higher my expectations, the harder the fall. But if I go to school with the lowest possible expectations of how people must treat (laughs) me, I'm actually pleasantly surprised when they're nice to me and I'm unfazed when they're mean to me because I actually expected them to be mean. So So I I want to ask you
1: this just because it's one of the things that me and Ava talk about. So one of the things that I share with her is to allow people to be who they are and understand that's who they are and not a reflection of who you are. Is that similar? Is that like it or go
0: ahead? Well, you know, I you're not going to like talking to me because no, I, love it. I see ahead. so many holes in what people say. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, can, yeah, fill I can, them for me so I can help her film. Yeah. The The problem with that teaching is that you, you risk teaching her to combine who they are with what they do. Okay. And that's a profound mistake. Okay. So yeah, break that down for me. So people are human beings, not human doings. And one of the problems that we have in life is that we connect our own performance with our approval of others. I must perform well to receive approval from important people, or I must perform perfectly well to receive approval from myself. And we connect our doing and being. And that's not a good way to live. Just because I lied does not make me a liar. Just because I was mean to someone doesn't make me a bully. You know, so this is the problem with the anti-bullying movement is we are... We are labeling children pejorative terms, globally rating them for their mistakes. And that's wrong. It's a violation of the golden rule. You wouldn't want someone to call you a liar or globally rate you and mischaracterize your whole entire person. Just because I lied does not make me a liar. Absolutely. You know, you lied, but you're, you're a, you're a valuable human being that sometimes lies. And so am I. And sometimes it's mean. So I know what you're saying. Uh, do what you got to do to be you. Like you be you. Another phrase that I despise with uh, probably like the most possible energy I could possibly despise because okay. it's the problem with this generation. When you put the burden of discovering who they are on their shoulders, you have just uh, – uh, okay. you you have you have created pathology. You've – It it is, it is too much pressure for an individual to define who they are. I am this, I am that. Even grownups at 40 years old have an existential crisis of who am I and where am I going? And I just think that that's way too much pressure. And I've counseled, that's why I think we also have uh, gender challenges. You know, a lot of kids are not, uh, you know, would not have these problems unless they have their friends who have these problems. And I know we have people listening to this podcast that are on the conservative side and on the liberal side, on the right, on the left, and they have different views of it. But I'm a psychologist. I hang out with psychologists and sociology. I actually have two doctors. One is psychology and sociology. And when we look at the trends of sexual identity, we realize this is contagious, this is like okay. never before in the history of humanity have we had such a massive group of people rejecting their identity okay, and their sexual identity and applying and on new identities for size. Now, when you why, say eh, – Why this is this? Is... Because, because of the, the mantra that we have encouraged children to do is to figure out who they are, and that's just okay. too much pressure for children.
1: Got it. So when you say it's never been done in history, like we've never seen – can you explain that Well, cuz the first thing that comes out to mind is as like I'm very curious as we've accepted let's say same sex orientation maybe there wasn't a moment I think
0: Well, but- well, if you look at the the amount so it, typically uh gender dysphoria which okay. was in the DSM-5 of uh psychological disorder Okay. Uh, was a hyper small Group of people. Okay, it is an extremely unusual condition. Well, now it's a huge percentage of especially middle school girls, and not so okay. much us. There's been books written about this. Okay, that, uh, especially right now. There's lots of lots of books being written about what do we do about this gender fluidity trend, and it goes back to what I believe is the mantra that we have told children starting with I think Gen Z. Um or millennials, perhaps, you be you, you be you, you do what you got to do to be you.
1: But so uh, I haven't heard that as much. Um, I'm, I'm trying to, I mean, I mean, as I hear know, it, I'm trying to, girl, understand.
0: here's what I'm saying. If you know, middle school, I work in schools every week, tomorrow, okay. I'm in Ohio, and, and I'll be working at a middle school. Uh, I've been doing this for 23 years. And when I go to a middle school, there's, there's a good, maybe 10% of the girls are confused about their identity. Uh, when I, that's 10%, that's one in 10. When I would go to schools, maybe five years ago or 10 years ago, it was like non-existent. It like wasn't there.
1: And And, you don't think that has, and again, I do not know. I'm genuinely asking that doesn't have anything to do with the world's acceptance of it. you
0: that, I mean, that, that that would be a good effort to argue that I'm not trying. I'm, 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 that's what I would argue. I would say in my head,
1: like I, I look at uh, like just again bringing up so, uh, sexual orientation, when I was in high school, for a young man to come out, it would have been pretty harmful. Now this is two thousand two thousand four. That young man would have had a
0: really tough time
1: yeah. in school, and still does um, today. Yeah, Not I'm curious. As
0: much. Yeah, right. and it's going to so, be l- less and less difficult the more and more it's accepted. But I think attraction and identity are different things.
1: Yeah, 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 for sure. And I do I mean not that my agreement means anything, but I do really agree with the like the idea that I like or do something, but that doesn't make me who I am. Like I I really associate with I'm a human. And as a human I do tons of things. Like I uh part of being a human, I'm a father, I am an athlete, I am a male, that's how I identify. Like, but I'm not just any of those things. Um, and there, you know, I'm also open to those things changing. Yeah. Right. Like, so I do associate with that, but I, I, wow, what you said was interesting. I didn't, well, what I'm saying
0: that. is like, um, I think people need boundaries. Okay. And I think they need to work within those boundaries. And once you remove those boundaries, chaos happens. Boundaries create order safety. They create, um, uh, future expectation of this is who I am and where I'm going. And I think greatness flourishes when you communicate the boundaries like values are boundaries. This is uh, if, if your daughter has your last name, you say, or my children have if my children have my last name, I could leverage that as a dad. You're a Gibbs kid. okay? do you know what that means? That means you're honest. That means you're this, you're that. There's a level of identity. And that's usually communicated, you know, via values. Um, And I think those are good things as well.
1: Yeah, we do that as well.
0: Yeah. So imagine like removing those standards of boundaries and just say, hey, be whoever you want to be. Not only will she become someone you don't want her to become, but she will experiment. She will be confused. She will be lost. I mean, it would. Putting that on a child. To say you decide who you're going to be is uh, I think she needs a father in her life to say this is who I believe you are. And this is who I believe where I believe you're going. And people who don't have fathers that are telling them who they are and where they're going. I think uh, I think the statistics show that it's absolutely disastrous. Ninety plus percent of the kids in prison, for example, are fatherless. They didn't have someone saying this is who you are and this is where you're going. Don't put the pressure on the child to define who they are
1: where does that cross the line? Like where is that too much, right? So as a parent, right, like I I definitely love the idea of boundaries. Ava's very, very clear, I think, on what a Miller is and what we do and how we move. Um, where does that go from, okay, this is a healthy set of boundaries to an unhealthy set of boundaries for I know some dads who, in my opinion – are looking to control as opposed to guide. So where does that line become evident, if at all?
0: I would just look at the fruit because it's not always about, uh, you know, uh, how how much do you tell them who they are and where they are, but how you tell them who they are and where they're going. Like that the what you say is uh, not nearly as important as how you say it, right? So you could have a coach that's effective, that's um, not very controlling, but very influential. So I would just say the fruit, the fruit of the child, is the child blossoming? Are Are they bearing good fruit or is it rotten fruit? Do they have attitudes? Do they secretly despise you? Do they desire to rebel? Another measurement besides fruit is, does it violate a golden rule for you? Would you like to be controlled like that? Would you like to be parented like that? Well, if you wouldn't want to be parented like that, then don't do it to them. So, so what
1: would you say to the parents who have a sense of what I would call ownership of their kids, right? To where it's like, I'm the parent, do as I say, not as I do type relationship. It, do you feel like that's good, bad, indifferent? And I I, I use good and bad uh, probably incorrectly, but- Not good or bad, but as far as helping the guidance of the child, is it typically a positive uh, intervention or negative?
0: Well, I think the children learn to walk by observing. They learn to talk by observing. They got your accent by observing you. Yeah. the, The most powerful form of education is demonstration or modeling. And so do as I say, not as I do. What a foolish point of view, the poem finishes. And so yes, that's a oh, it's not a very effective way to influence someone. Got it. It's hypocritical. Uh they'll call you on it, then they won't really believe anything you say because you don't even live that way. Uh it is possible to be able to say, please don't be like me. Mm-hmm. Uh I think you I want you to be better than me. And I think that can be honest and a child can understand that. But uh that would have to be confessed and say and, you know, I just did that today. I wrote a letter to my son. Uh, it was just on my heart. And I just wanted to tell him all the things that I admire about him and things that I remember. Uh, I saw him growing up um, when he was in elementary school and in middle school, all these incredible things about him. And then uh, and then I, uh, about his service servant heart. And I said, I think you learned that from me. I hope you did. Uh, but I think you're even better at it than me and then and then i had a moment in my letter of apology to be able to say you know i you know i i wish i could be different in this area when i communicate with you uh the only hope that i have is number 1 that i can maybe change and get a little better but the other hope is that i've taught you how to forgive and let love cover a multitude of my faults because i've got plenty of them uh i'm proud of you i love you i believe in you i got your back I want to see you succeed, and I will exhaust every resource I have for your benefit. Uh, that's that's who I am in your life, son. Damn,
1: Brooks, you're a great dad. <laughs> I well,
0: love that I you cried, can admit. I cried, bro. Yeah, whole freaking time writing the oh, thing took an it. hour, and I just in the, And I told him that I said this whole letter has been a freaking cry fest. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But I just realized, bro. We've spent 90% of your childhood and we only have 10% left. I just did the simple math, you know? So let's make sure we end well. Mm, I love that. I think it takes such courage, but
1: also it is one of the most significant, uh, I guess, like communication, but also connection bonds to be able to say, Hey, you know what? I'm not perfect. I'm faulty to admit when you do that. And essentially it sounds like to me, you're just holding yourself accountable. And what, how, how, I mean, there are a few other great ways to build trust, love and connection than saying, you know what, like, this is who I am. This is who I want to be. And moving forward, I'd like to do a little bit better. Like that's, that's a, sm- I mean, it's not, it is a smooth move, but it's also just genuine, genuine, the just genuinely sounds and feels good like i've just listened to. It. i was like damn like
0: what a dad man. Yeah. Well, you know, i uh i he i'm i learned from him. Hmm. You know, he says something very interesting. He says dad uh the other day he says, you know, your whole resilience thing works for every relationship except for the family. And uh i literally said that's bull crap. <laughs> That's what i said. That's bullcrap. And then it of course killed the conversation <laughs> as it should have what a punk I was and but then I got to think about it and I thought you know he's right so what do I teach I teach that we are not to take people's words to heart. We are not to be rigid or demanding or even desirous of how people treat us. to desire something is to set ourselves up for disappointment when we don't get what we desire. to demand something is to set ourselves up for devastation or disturbance if we don't get what we demand. You know, to want something and not get what you want triggers temper tantrums in us. And so that's why I believe we should have the lowest possible expectations of how people must treat us. I don't think we should have expectations. Well, it doesn't really work in the family because there's a thing in psychology called attachment and bonding. Mm. And in order for a bond to really take place and I'm still learning like I'm in Psych 101.
1: Brene Brown goes hard into bonding.
0: Yeah, man. I mean, you, you have to have a desire. You have to be able to communicate your wants or your hopes, your disappointments, and then the reciprocity of listening and reflecting and engagement in the conversation of the other person saying, "Okay, I will seek to change that. I'm sorry I did that to you. You know, will you forgive me? And let me try to adjust to accommodate your preferences. And if we're both just kind of like submitting to one another and listening to one another and accommodating one another, that creates bonds. Now, you don't want that type of relationship in the workplace. And you don't want that type of relationship, even with friendships, really, Uh, maybe best friends, but not your general, you know, uh, you know, colleagues or uh, only intimate confidants. Would you want that? But in the family, you want that. You want, how have I hurt you? So I'm learning through my son, through his confession of dad. so
1: smooth. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I need you to hear what hurts me. And I need you to stop telling me to stop being hurt or to accept you as you are or to lower my expectations of how you must perform in my life. All that advice that you give everyone else, millions of people around the world, like it works for them in stranger environments, but not in the home. My man looked right at you and said, hey, that's not what Gibbs do. <laughs> I love that.
1: Right. So I am the king of tangents, and I love where we just went. But I do want to come back and just right. talk about some of the other things that you feel a parent whose child is being bullied um, outside of just those two things. How can we help them? And I I know you said not just bullying, but just with adversity in general, having them become more resilient. How? What are some of the other tools? Yeah. Uh, or frameworks that we could use for that?
0: Well, remember the heart of it is to give up the grip of the demand. Mm -hmm. This must not happen to me. This better not happen to me. You shouldn't say that to me. Well, uh, you know, must and should, those are demanding thoughts. And so how do we help a child give up the grip? I have a technique I developed and it's really like common sense, but I formulated it into it. It's called negative, neutral, positive. And so when I'm talking to a kid who's having a hard time accepting the fact that someone's being mean to them or accepting the fact that their parents divorced or that they got an injury and they're taken out of their sport. Whatever the adversity is, they're having a hard time accepting it. The negative neutral positive goes like this. How could this have been worse? Why won't this matter in your future? And how could this turn out for your good? So negative, how could this have been worse? allows you to throw your unwanted, harsh reality against the backdrop of something worse. How could this have been worse? So you didn't get invited to that party. How could this have been worse? Well, I guess everyone could have been invited but me. But the truth is only three kids were invited. Most people were not invited. And I'm like part of that most people. I think it would have been a lot worse if everyone would have been invited but me. That's right. So being able to realize that your unfortunate situation could have been a lot worse makes you automatically feel less bad about it. Mm. And so the second question is, why won't this matter in your future? Well, I guess I'll be invited to future parties. That's right. You will. I'm sure you will. You're a very likable person. Uh, This won't matter in your future because you're going to forget about it. (laughs) It's a big deal now, but it's not a big deal forever. And kids kill themselves because they lack objective understanding of their life calendar, that this is just a temporary problem.
1: Which makes sense because they haven't lived, like, to think in 10 years, to a 10-year-old, to think in 10 years, I won't even think about this, is tough because 10 years is their entire life. To me, that's only a third. It's less than a third, actually.
0: Right. Dang, it's almost a quarter. But honestly, you know, a lot changes in a year. You know, I always use COVID. Hey, do you remember back in COVID days when everything was locked down? You were like this tall, and now you're like this tall. But didn't it seem like just yesterday when that happened? Man, time has flown by. Isn't that crazy? Guess what? Another three years is going to fly by.
1: So that's negative, neutral, then what's the
0: the Neutral is why won't this matter in your future? And it's a leading question suggesting that it's not going to. So I'm lowering the importance of the offense. The third thing I'm asking is how could this turn out for your good? How could this turn out for your good? Yeah, you can do something else. We can go do something fun. Or maybe they rejected you and you could ask them, are you mad at me? Maybe they're going to help give you a criticism that will help you improve. Maybe there's something in your personality that is repelling people rather than attracting people. Or maybe they have just proven that they're not your real friends because a friend loves at all times Mm. and they're not loving you. They're like, you know, fickle friends. So thank your lucky stars. You can say your prayers for them, but realize this that they made it obviously uh, that obviously that they're not your people. And so we need to find friends for you that, that, that won't be fair weather friends. Um, and all you need is one. You don't need that group. So it's always going to turn out for my good. And once you pave the three logical sequence of questions, how could this have been worse? Why won't this matter in my future? How could this turn out for my good? You literally pave a way in their brain to problem solve or to at least cope with a harsh reality.
1: I, I This word may throw some people off, but it came up, the question just came up when you finished there. Where do you see encouraging kids to, how it, the word I'm coming to is confrontation. Like, where do you encourage, like the kid to say in that scenario that you just used, to just ask them like, hey, you know, why wasn't I invited? Is it something that they should even care about? Or is that something, because I do see in certain situations, them addressing that individual directly, respectfully, not like, you know, why didn't you, you know, why didn't you invite me? But more like, hey, like I was just curious, why didn't you, is there a place for that? Or do you see it as something that through the negative, neutral, positive, it's not really necessary?
0: Well, I think asking them, uh, why don't you find out why you were not invited? You will be able to see how important those people are to them. Got it. No, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Oh, so they're not a friendship worth keeping? I mean, because like mm. real friends like ask really hard questions. Uh, there's an old proverb that says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend rather than the kisses of an enemy, which are deceitful. Meaning, I'm going to punch you if I care about you. I'm going to say, Hey, why did you do this? I'm not going to come out like really aggressive, but I'm I'm going to say hard things if I care about you. But if you're my enemy, why would I bother saying hard things?
1: I just want my brother to know that I love him a lot, obviously. So see, see, guy, I've been telling you, I love you all this time. Okay.
0: Punch me back. I love you. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Iron sharpens iron. So I would say, you know, that, that is a good thing to say, Hey, find out why you weren't invited, but, 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 uh, do it from a, uh, a desire to grow, like they're going to criticize you likely because that's what happens. Um, and you're going to either owe them a thank you or an apology.
1: Mm, you know, love that. Well, you're
0: just annoying when you do this. Oh, thank you for telling me. I'm sorry about that you know, that's, that's great. And if I make these changes, would I be invited to the party? If I promise not to do that, mm. so I'd like to come and hang out with you guys, but, but I don't have to, if you guys don't want me there, I understand. Cause I like throwing parties and I don't want everyone there. I just select a few. So I'm going to extend the same right for you to be selective and exclusive. It's another lie that has destroyed this generation. The second most powerful lie, the first being UBU, the <laughs> generation the destroyed? Identity, they're screwed up, but really? the second, the second <laughs> screwed up, dogma that we have shoved down their throat is the doctrine of inclusion. Okay. Inclusion is the worst concept because it it causes a child to have a rigid expectation and demand that everyone must include them. And that's, that will never happen. That will never happen. Like, like even the animal kingdom know not to be friends with everyone because everything is eating and being eaten, Mm. right? Birds of a feather flock together for a freaking reason. Survival and preservation of resources and in the human you know, uh, world, preservation of values. So survival, preservation of resources, we only have so much stuff to share, and preservation of values. Bad company corrupts good morals. Why would I want to be friends with everyone? Even the most successful CEOs will tell you you're the summation of the 10 people you hang around. And if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Like every smart, wise person says live exclusively. So I teach my children, do not be friends with everyone, but be friendly to everyone. But please choose your friends wisely because they shape you.
1: Damn, he just dropped a bomb. So how then, just in that little space, how do we... I don't want to say motivate, but that's the first thing. How do we motivate our children to choose friends positively? Is that also going in line with the values that we already have?
0: I I think kids need friends. So, you know, that's even more so than a value, but it made it in the five hierarchical needs of Maslow's hierarchical structure. Right. The fifth value is community acceptance, friendship. For
1: sure. So some inclusion is necessary. But being included with everyone is not.
0: I would say yes, that's correct. And, okay. it, and when we communicate inclusion, we usually c- we communicate it in a corporate setting. Almost like a participation trophy. I don't know about that, perhaps. Yeah, but that's more achievement. Okay. And this is more relational. So, you know, uh, I do agree we should achieve. We should reward children. I think achievement is rewarded. In and of itself, I think we should reward resilience, which is usually when you fail forward and with a good attitude. That, to me, deserves a reward if we want to see more of it. But the concept of inclusion is typically relational. It says everyone needs to be invited to the same thing and everyone needs equal uh, whatever equality is. And the third lie, the whole concept of equity or equality is the third lie that this generation has – been indoctrinated with that has okay. unintended negative consequences.
1: Is the lie that all things should be equal, or that all things are?
0: What's the lie? The all the, the lie is that nothing is equal, nothing is fair. Wait, that is the lie, or that's now that's the truth. The truth? Yeah, okay. I, you know, thanks for clarifying. Uh, the lie is um, things should be fair, or things should be equal. Well, it's just it's just it's a logical absurdity. Like there is no such – the only thing fair about life is that it's unfair for everybody. And there are so okay. many things outside of your control that you just don't control, including genetic skill and talent and opportunity and, and, uh, and the in weather. That same,
1: in that same right, would you then suggest that we should not fight for equity and equality or we just shouldn't assume that things should be equitable and equal?
0: You know, It's a difference between equal opportunity versus equal outcome. And the equal outcome concept is unfair for those who uh, don't fit a particular uh, like minority group or victim group. Uh, and they're working really hard, but because of the color of their skin, they, they they're out of the team or they're not able to compete. And and you say, well, we just want everyone to have a chance. And these people uh, deserve a chance because of their historic ancestry victimization. And 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 if they weren't victimized like that, you know, 150 years ago or whatever, then this person would probably be more advanced than you. So we need to give them the opportunity. Well, you know, um, it's uh, any mind virus that promotes victimization is dangerous, and the entire discipline of psychology, which is a help discipline is designed to help people who are victims not view themselves as a victim. okay? But take responsibility for whatever is left of their life and do as best as they can with what they have. And that's everybody because the dude who's white or the dude who's brown or black or whatever the colors are, the nationalities are, you know, uh, they have victim stories. I didn't have a dad growing up. My, I, had, you know, whatever, you know, three stepmoms or I had, I, I grew up in abject poverty or, uh, this girl was raped or, you know, this person, like everyone, no matter where they are, has a victim story. Okay. And we need to, we, and they don't get equity because of their victim story and perhaps they should. But if we start going around to say, what's your victim story? This is called, uh, in, in culture called intersectionalism. The more victim cards that you can stack to help to to create your identity profile. I'm a this with a this and a this problem and a this oppression and a this oppression. You have more moral authority in this culture. And so you have to identify as a victim. You have to behave like an activist. And here's the interesting thing. I've never met a happy activist. They are so focused on their victim fight that it bleeds Mm -hmm. into and poisons a lot other areas of their life. So I'm about curing the individual, no matter what group they're a part of, curing the individual of their victim mindset and to Mm -hmm. recognize that just be faithful within the boundaries you've been given, including the limitations you have. And if you can fight to expand your limitations so you don't have as many limitations, do it. Sure. Why not? Why not? Like, but, but I want to make sure I'm understanding you correctly. I
1: definitely, I want to make sure I'm understanding you correctly. I definitely identify with the fact that, um, if you are a victim that doesn't have to become your entire identity, um, you know, there, I agree with you that we all in some way are a victim, uh, or have different opportunities than others. Are you based on the description that you gave? Are you saying that, certain opportunities should not be available to certain victim groups based on. No, I,
0: the, I think, you know, I think we're talking about diversity, inclusion and equity, which okay. is, uh, which is sort of like the modern doctrine. And, you know, that's really, being I think the easy right way now to now ask the question so would be
1: like, I'm sorry. I think the easy way to ask the question would be like, so let's take uh, one of the programs. Like, so, so that we have a, so like something like affirmative action, would you say that it's helpful or not helpful Based on your ideas of inclusion and or uh, victims support, let's say, is, am I asking that correctly?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I I suppose you know this is not an area that I like to um, to swim in. Okay, yeah, uh, no worries.
1: But, I, I just want to make sure because yeah. what I was hearing.
0: But it, let's say it was my kid coming to me. Okay, and he says, "Dad, I could uh, I could exploit this opportunity." because of our, the color of my skin to advance me in this particular college. And I would say, yeah, you use whatever you can, you know, to advance yourself. It's fantastic. Go for it. Um, If my son's getting in that, let's say there's only one slot open and my son is a higher achiever Mm -hmm. and, uh, and he qualifies, but someone else of a different skin color got, got it because of affirmative action, let's just say, or something then, then, and he would come to me and say, dad, I I was better positioned for that. Like I, I qualify more all my scores, all this, whatever achievement levels and everything I've you know, and they took my slot. He said, that's unfair. I say, you're right. It's unfair. Absolutely. We should be, we should be, we should give opportunities based on your ability not any other identifier you know but guess what son i would say life's not fair and there's and it's good for them to try to do whatever they could for their people group and and sure it's it's their prerogative to try to advance their kids that's great um but i'm not going to teach you to be a victim i'm going to say clean up whatever's left of your life look for another opportunity and go for it and guess what it could have been worse it won't really matter in your future. Okay. It actually turn out for your good. Okay, so you, uh,
1: from what I'm, it sounds like the focus of what you're saying initially is take advantage of any, any opportunities presented to you. Uh, however, at the end of the day, don't victimize yourself.
0: Yeah, because what if someone can't get into that school? Got it. And they blame it on the color of their skin, which I think Got is it. ridiculous. But maybe they have proof. Maybe. The president of the college said, because you're black, we don't like black people, so we're not going to let you into the school. Let's say that happened. You know, yeah, I, I think that's, uh, that's a problem, you know, but uh, that's also life. You know, uh, some it, Christians have been persecuted because of their faith. Jews have been persecuted because of their faith. Uh, Hispanics have been persecuted because of the color of their skin or the, uh, the you know, they're from another country. In Mexico, I grew up in San Antonio, Texas, where I was a minority. It was 78% in my area, 78% Hispanic. And, and I was the minority. And the fact that I wasn't Mexican and I didn't speak Spanish created a lot of problems for me. You know, was I going to create an advocacy group to try to help myself? You know, no, I wasn't. I don't have that mentality. I cannot relate to the ideology that promotes um Pathology.
1: I hear you saying. I I I look at those, and obviously, you're in. You know, uh, I look at those things slightly differently, and that's why I asked about affirmative action specifically. Only because. So
0: share with me. Educate me. No, no. So so I I just looked
1: at them differently, only because in like so the examples that you had given, um, you weren't paying the governing body that was making said choices. So for instance, like there was a time where certain, you know, black, brown minorities weren't allowed into certain colleges. So like, let's say state schools, white state schools, right. But my taxes were still going to those, whether I was black, brown or indifferent. And so having affirmative action, the way I see it is like, maybe not wronging a right, but different because the governing body who was supposed to be looking out for me wasn't, and now they're trying to, I mean, you can't make, I mean, I don't think make up, but if there was, let's say there was oppression, trying to make up or level the playing field for, I don't want to say generations, but level the playing field for those who historically through certain programs were not considered at the same level does that make any sense
0: you know i think if if someone is being discriminated for whatever reason mm-hmm. um the question is should the government be involved in in regulating that and i think that's what affirmative action is saying is, and yes it should be you know the government should be involved in enforcing equality uh and the way the government can do that is through you know, threatening to take away someone's nonprofit status or increasing their tax burdens, or there's ways that government can inflict pressure on an institution to uh, play fair. Um, And, and that's, you know, I, I want to raise my children, which is what this podcast is all about. Mm -hmm. I want to raise my children to never expect anything from life. And just enjoy the life that you have. And even even have a seatbelt on your own ambitions. Because one of the reasons that cause people to kill themselves is disenfranchisement, which is my life should be comfortable and turn out the way I envisioned. And if it's not, it's unbearable. And so they want to leave life. And so we, we put all these expectations on ourselves. And I want my children just to be grateful. You. You know, life is full of hardship. Life is suffering. I I was counseling a kid uh, just last night. And he says, I'm sad. I said, why are you sad? He says, well, because I'm split between two families. I have to have 50-50 with my mom, 50 with my dad. And it seems like I never have momentum. And it seems like all the projects that I work on just only get half done. And everything takes me twice as long. I said, well, then I think that's a... That's a healthy emotion that you feel because you're in a sad situation. By the way, who said it's bad to be sad? Like most of us have a steady sense of sadness, and that's actually good. Sadness looks good on us. If we weren't aware of the homelessness, we wouldn't have sad pulling us down and be motivated to do something. Martin Luther King was talking about how he did not want to be well-adjusted. He wanted to stay maladjusted. Why? So that he could maintain empathy for other people. He enjoyed the steady sense of sadness in his life because it helped him live a balanced life. So I just told him, I told this kid, I said, uh, the only reason why the sadness is causing you to suffer is because you believe you shouldn't be sad. You believe you should be happy. And I asked him who told you that you should be happy? And he says, that's a good question, I don't know. I said, well, I'm telling you that I think it's appropriate for you to be sad. Now, you can laugh during the day. Did you laugh today? Yes, I did this. Did you have fun today? Yes, I did that. But I always go back to this sadness. That's right, because you're in a sad situation. And it's probably gonna continue for the next three years because that's all you have left in the home. But the, the, the uh, maladjustment or the disturbance Or the pathology comes when you believe you must be happy. Mm -hmm. So I try to help people accept the harsh realities of their life and not necessarily try to change them, especially if they cannot change them. Mental illness, by definition, is this, the inability to adjust well to a harsh reality. And mental wellness is, by definition, this, the ability to adjust well to a harsh reality. So programs like whatever... The victim program is, to me, um, could unintendedly perpetuate a victim mindset that says, I cannot do well because of this harsh reality in your life. No, that's a harsh reality in your life. It could be worse. It really won't matter in your future. It could actually turn out for your good. And that's your goal, is to discipline your mind to say yes to harsh realities and adjust well to them and leverage them for your advantage and not look to God or the government or, you know, some sort of program to, uh, to make everything accommodate you. God, is
1: that what you, so, I mean, obviously you have more information on this. Is that what people are doing? Are they looking for something to fix or are they looking for something to allow for more access?
0: They're, they're wanting the government to solve their problem. And this is, nothing's clearer than the anti-bullying movement. Okay. Stop my bully for me, you know, get rid of him, like punish him. And it's like, uh, no, <laughs> not only is it not possible. Yeah. To take someone out of school for being mean, unless they committed a crime against you, but 99% of the aggression in schools are non-criminal and they're aimed at hurting your feelings. Well, the entire anti-bullying movement was built. On the false premise that children are powerless to solve their own social problems and the government is responsible to solve their kids' social problems. With a problem. So I haven't
1: seen any of that. Um, can you break down what is the government trying to do to remove yeah.
0: So I wrote a whole book on it. It's called Rethink Bullying. They could read it if they care at rethinkbullying.com.
1: The link for the book is here in the description,
0: so make sure to check that out if you're interested. So basically, the you know, you ask a child, what is a bully? And it's they're gonna tell you it's it's mean people so when someone's mean to you and uh, usually they break it down into four categories when someone says something to you mean or they do something to you mean like flick you off or give you a push or they say something mean to you to somebody else or about you to somebody else that's like gossip and rumors or they do something with someone else without you and that's exclusion or you know avoiding okay all so right. four categories of aggression and so that would be bullying you know, in, in the mind of a child, in the mind of a parent. And, uh, and even in the legal definition of bullying, it's both direct and indirect, verbal and nonverbal. Well, that's every unwanted thing. So unfortunately uh, we have anti-bullying laws that say no one is allowed to do that stuff to you. And if they do, they're going to be punished. Right. Right.
1: That, that, I mean, that, So I do do hear what you're saying because I I feel like that does not prepare you for the real world.
0: Here's what's interesting: there's not a working anti-bullying speaker today. They're they're now if they're still working, they've abandoned the anti-bullying, and they have moved to social emotional learning or mental health. And so the reason why there's no no more anti-bullying anything, is because it didn't work. But from '99. When the first anti-bullying law was written, till today, uh, there are still anti-bullying laws that basically say, "Yeah, yeah, wow. no, no one has a right to to hurt your feelings." They, it's it's called power imbalance, and the only way that they can measure power imbalance is that if you feel bad and they feel less bad than you. Uh, again, I, I wrote a whole, whole book about it, and and the fact that we call That's it special. bullying what's up now saying in the
1: description it's going to be there yeah
0: yeah. the fact that we call bullying uh there's no other it is an example of the absurdity of uh the theory because we're not even being specific when we say i've been bullied that tells me nothing it's like telling a cop i've been abused and the cop's gonna say whatever (laughs) i don't even know what you're saying you've been abused what are you talking about what happened yeah like, give me specifics. Did he punch you in the face or did he like not show up for dinner or did he, you know, what? Because there's obviously
1: way different, you know, responses to the actual specific bullying or abuse that that that's I did not know that actually at all.
0: Um, so anything that hurts a child's feelings is called bullying and uh, and schools have anti-bullying laws. So it's a pretty sick uh, situation. Uh, because schools are now blamed by parents that they 're doing nothing about the bullying that 's what you always hear all the time, yeah, I told I talked to the teacher she 's doing nothing you 're asking the teacher to change the child 's behavior or to remove the child from your child 's life, and neither can be accomplished
1: and so so actually uh, that that leads me kind of almost transition to the other half of it, so we talked a little bit about you know, modeling and not being a hypocrite. Um, If you as an adult are experiencing bullying, let's say in the workplace or, you know, with other parents, let's say in the friend group or whatnot, should we approach it the same way? Because in the real world, we're not able to just, I mean, we can separate ourselves or leave a job or something like that. But in real, I mean, realistically, there's going to be this form of quote unquote bullying anywhere. There's going to be people who don't like you. There's going to be people who don't like where you're at. There's, I mean, there's going to be some type of confrontation right, right. in any type of life situation. Should we handle mm-hmm. it as adults the same way to model it for our parents?
0: Yeah. I think it's is, is aggression. Like there's going to be aggression wherever you go. Yeah. Um, and uh. yeah, of course, like there's laws that govern aggression. And this is mm-hmm. what I do for a living. I teach people the laws that govern aggression. And there's four motivations behind someone's aggression. They're trying to provoke you, bother you. They have the power to upset you. That's what they're trying to do. Or they're trying to, you know, joke with you. They're just, you know, humor is very aggressive because if you're the butt of the joke, you may not like that. It's very risky. You may find it offensive. They were just trying to be funny. Think of Will Smith smacking, (laughs) you know, the comedian, Chris Rock. Well, you know what other people found funny, someone might find offensive. So humor is a form of aggression, believe it or not. And so sometimes you're the butt of the joke. You may not like that. The third motivation behind aggression is uh, someone's hurt by you. You know, you said something or did something that they processed in a way that disturbed themselves, and uh, and they're mad at you because they believe you hurt their feelings. And the fourth, final uh, form of aggression or motivation behind aggression is uh, criticism. Someone's trying to Tell you what's wrong with you, or help you improve, Mm. and they're pointing out a flaw, and you may find that as aggressive. So there is no other aggression that does not fit in those four categories, and there's four solutions to those four categories. If they're trying to provoke you or bother you, be unprovocable, be unfazed. If they're trying to joke with you, take and make a joke about yourself, (laughs) laugh. That's that's emotional health. If they're hurt by you, apologize. Are you mad at me? Hey, I'm sorry about that. And if they're criticizing you, thank them. Thank you. So yes, the same aggression we see on campus and online for the little ones is the same types of aggression that we see in the big adult world. And we need to learn to navigate those things and not say, I've been bullied or they have no right to do that. It's like, whatever, take responsibility for your life. Take responsibility for your emotions because no one hurts your feelings. No one makes you angry.
1: It's that belief system part of the
0: yes. spectrum that you talked you about earlier. hurt your own feelings. You upset yourself. If you want to stay truthful and scientific, then you have to come to grips with the fact that you keep disturbing yourself because of your rigid demands and your expectations of how life must work and people must treat you. And that's the root of all of a person's emotional problems.
1: Wow. Okay, Brooks, you got the you got the mind just
0: rolling right here. I'm definitely. Well, I don't like people to feel like a victim. No, I definitely. I am 100 percent on that. But yeah, we, I we promote victimization that. in this culture. We we promote. What
1: are some ways? Because maybe I'm misunderstanding it. What are some other ways that we are promoting victimization, well, I mean, especially just, for our you kids? Know, Google woke. Okay. Ooh. Okay. So that was a lot to unpack, and that's why we're gonna give ourselves some time to digest that one over the next week so we're gonna get the second half of this interview next wednesday make sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're on so you don't miss out because next week brooks is going to talk about how he feels the black community and the jewish community have handled victimization differently he talks about frustration tolerance and he gives us a few ways that we can handle that and deal with it slightly better for us and for the kids but next week is a lot more talking about the parents and teachers and leaders themselves you're not going to want to miss this if you're already part of the true warrior society online you actually have access to both episodes right now so you go into the portal and make sure you get it for yourself if you want to get ahead of the crew just a heads up if you're interested in that you can get that for a dollar up until like may 20th and kind of poke around see workouts and anything any of the exclusive and early conversations that we're having there take care and be well